a Pulp MX Network production. Welcome to the Fly Racing Steve Mathis Show presented by Maxis Tires and Alpine Stars Protects on RacerXOnline.com. your continued support of our sponsors we have surpassed 1,000 podcasts delivered with over 7 million downloads click that amazon banner on pole mx to help us out and donate via patreon if it suits you and as always enrich your moto lifestyle by working with the sponsors who support us Original Moto Podcast, featuring legends of the past, stars of today, season previews and race reviews, introspection, opinion, facts, and laughs. Here's your host, Steve Mathis. Welcome, everybody, to a new edition of podcast called The Creators. Some of the best podcasts I've done with guys that created the iconic brands in the industry. And I'm going to be doing a bunch of uh, remixes of those podcasts and re-releasing them for you, I don't know, every once in a while. Just uh, John Gregory, Eddie Cole, Ross Maeda, Paul Feed, so on and so forth. Some great stories in there about how these companies got started. Great behind-the-scenes information. And uh, companies that have touched all of us that race and, and ride motocross over the years, no matter how old you are. You're, you're used one of these products, used one of these guys' products, raced with one of these guys' products, uh, saw them uh, support top-notch supercrossers. However it is, these guys' products, companies, ideas, innovations have touched all our lives, and I love these podcasts that I did, and I think uh, you guys should maybe dive back in and take a listen to the Creators series of podcasts that I've released since 2008. Some real cool stuff. Thank you for listening to all of these podcasts. I hope you enjoy these. I know I did. They're some of my favorite, as I keep saying. But trust me, it's true. First up is uh, JT Racing's John Gregory. It's perhaps one of the oldest ones that I've done. It was early in my podcast career. I think I was over at Schmanschmorld Schmotocross by now. Not sure. But uh, great podcast. Great um, great guy. And we still keep in touch today. Emailed him back and forth a few times. Showed him some things on eBay. And John keeps saying that he's got some, he can tell I'm a huge JT fan. He's got some stuff, he says, quote unquote, in a bunker. He's asked for my address a couple of times now. He's never sent anything, though. But I keep waiting, John. I keep waiting for something to show up from your bunker uh, of JT paraphernalia that you have. So please enjoy the first in a series of podcasts called The Creators. Thanks for listening. See ya. Welcome to the BTOsports.com Transworld Motocross podcast show. Uh, as usual, I'm your host, Steve Mathis. With me on the line is, uh, is uh, I know I say this all the time, but this truly is one of the guys that I've always wanted to get, one of the pioneers in the motocross industry, and that would be the uh, founder of JT Racing, John Gregory. John, uh, how are you? Doing good, Steve. How are you? I'm good. Hey, thanks for agreeing to do this. I know you don't, uh, you don't do a whole lot of these things, and... Um, I want to thank Brock Glover before we get too far for uh, hooking me up with you. Uh, no problem. Uh, um, glad to do it. Yeah, great, great. We got a lot to talk <clears> about. Um, but let's right off the top. Let's uh, 
Let's talk about your AMA Motorcycle Hall of Fame induction, which just happened uh, this past weekend in Las Vegas. Um, talk about that event for you. Well, I think that the people we have to give <laughs> most of the credit to right here are, for example, Brock was instrumental in the induction part for Rita and I. And uh, I imagine that guys like Tom Heininger and Jack Benton, Eddie Cole, some other people played, you know, a role in it. I think that I've, I've, this is something that Brock pursued, I think, has been pursuing for some time, and he was the one that was, I think, that, that kind of was uh, dogged enough to finally get us inducted. <laughs> uh, was it an honor? Was it, was it out of the blue? Were you kind of shocked when you heard about it? Well, I wasn't, wasn't really shocked. I, I think that the, what I like about it the most is the, you know, the company that we were in. You know, Mitch was there, and, and uh, it was unfortunate about Ivan, but, but there's a, a lot of good people that made, you know, makes you feel good about being in that uh, particular organization right there. But as far as you know, going way back, it's no secret, I guess, that everybody in the industry has had their ups and downs with the AMA, and I think that even continues today. <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> that's a good point. That's, that's a good point. put it mildly. <laughs> that's a good point. Um, you know, I'm sitting here in my, in my uh, den doing this uh, podcast, and staring directly out at me is, is a, a JT ALS uh, 2 helmet with um, goggles, JT goggles on in the helmet, and a V2000 chest protector that my wife asks me, why do you have this stuff just in your den? And I, I don't know. I just do. Uh, so do you, do you have any idea on sort of how iconic the company is that you started? I mean, do, do, you, um, do you look back now and go, wow, I guess I was part of something? Or, do you, you know, do you have any – I guess when you're in it, you have no idea the influence you're having, huh? Well, I, I think we had an idea when we were in it. I think it's when you're out of it you kind of – you kind of lose touch. Um, I give you some, some advice on the equipment that you've got in there. That sounds like some of the stuff that, that I had in my office that I never found a place for at my home. <laughs> You're lucky, at least you've got it in your house. Yeah, yeah, no. Uh, um, I've actually, I searched on eBay for a long time for a V2000. Um, obviously, I grew up wearing them, you know. Um, but then, you know, you just lose touch of them, and I always wanted one. And uh, found an eBay, found them on eBay, bid, you know, whatever. I think it was one hundred and forty dollars. Um, and, uh, yeah, I got it. So I got it. So I'm pumped. <laughs> I think that, that that probably is the one product that you mentioned in an email earlier about one one that was my favorite. I think that one was it. You know, we started out with a V2000, and, mm -hmm. and then we evolved from there into four or five variations of it for, um, you know, four-wheelers and three-wheelers. and yeah. And uh, had a myriad of, of applications, actually. Yeah, so it was it was a great product. A lot went into that product. A lot went into it. Yeah, yeah. We'll uh, we'll touch on that in a little bit here. Um, now, obviously, the, one of the big news this past weekend, I was in it was in Paris for the Bercy Supercross, and Sebastian Tortelli debuted the new reincarnation of JT, which I'm happy to say, you know, looks. They kept to the spirit of the original gear. Uh, you don't have anything to do with it, do you? Um, nothing. nothing. Did you Absolutely. know about it? Did they talk to you about it? Did they anything? Sort yeah, of about a, about a year ago, mm -hmm. they contacted me and 
Uh, it sounded like work to me, so I never, never, <laughs> never got involved. Right, right. Did you see photos of it? Oh, I was in Vegas. Never mind. Yeah. So no, that Vegas was the first time I'd seen anything. Mm-hmm. And what are your thoughts on it? Uh, well, I, I hope it stands up to a good washing the first time. <laughs> Um, I like how they used all of your logos. They used some 70s logos, 80s logos, you know, 90s logos. You know, they kind of used a whole bunch of the different JT logos over the years. I like how they stayed uh, they stayed true to that. That was cool. Yeah. They didn't come, yeah. they didn't try to reinvent the wheel, you know? Well, that would have been difficult. So. <laughs> yeah, they exactly. Were smart. They were smart there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So what are you uh, what are you up to now nowadays? You sold JT um geez, I don't even what year was it? Uh, 2001. Okay, 2001. So what's John Gregory doing these days? Well, John Gregory today is trying to stay stay out of trouble, <laughs> which is pretty easy to do where I live. We I live in Idaho. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we had JT, when we sold um, JT, I've always, we, we had our R&D in Sun Valley for Dolly for 20 years. Okay. And uh, I love that country, and because of the the involvement there, uh, you know, Hannah had been up there a long time, and and I've always wanted to get a place in the back country. And I found a ranch, and just off the Middle Fork of the Salmon up in the Frank Church Wilderness area, and I bought that about seven years ago. And it's it's very remote. It's sixty. I think the nearest town by road is sixty-two miles away. And the only practical way in is flying. Yeah. And I've been a pilot since 1980, so I fly a little plane called a Super Cub, and that's my way in and out every day. Jeez! Wow! Yeah, you are out there (laughs) in the woods. Um. What about starting JT? Uh, you know, there's the the myth about uh, uh, JT is Tijuana, TJ backwards. Uh, you started with motocross socks. Is that is that correct? Is that what I've what I've heard over yeah, the years? Yeah, that's what it's that's what started the whole thing. <clears throat> One of the people that I've worked with and I've worked to to this day, his name is David Stevenson. And and <clears throat> excuse me, as you may or may not know, I think you do. I had a degree in pharmacy, and I graduated from little school in Oklahoma and immediately headed uh, west to California and, and uh, started my career in pharmacy there in 1964. And uh, anyway, I came out here and worked for two or three years, and then about, oh, Lord, yes, probably 65 or, or six I met a guy in I was working in Corona, California, and I met the local Honda dealer. His name was Floyd Burke. <clears throat> and uh, before that, I had bought a couple of Trail 90s. I, you know, I didn't know much about dirt bikes or anything. I just liked to be outside and explore. And those little bikes were an excellent way to do it. Anyway, I hooked up with with Floyd, and the next thing I know, he's dragging me to the desert. Uh-huh. And uh, he's the one, I guess, that I have to give all the responsibility for <laughs> getting me started on this whole thing. Dirt bikes, yeah. Yeah, dirt bikes. And then after that, I, you know, I started racing District 37 because that's, you know, that's where we were. Mm-hmm. 
in '68 or so, I moved to um, <clears throat> moved to San Diego in that area. And about the same time, I met Dave, and we had this little one-man pharmacy that Rita and I <clears throat> owned and ran. And Dave said, he said, God, you better do something. This racing is <laughs> running you into the ground. So it was because of Dave's suggestion, and he kind of inspired us to launch into JT. And I, I had, you know, we'd, <clears throat> we'd all been wearing these old gray and red uh Army, not Army surplus, but you bought them in surplus stores. Yep. Those big old wool socks. They were the only thing that would go over the top of a lineman boot, and that's back in the days when everybody wore their socks on the outside. Right. And we happened to go to a race one time. It was at the Hisa, a track called the Hisa in the San Diego area. There was a kid. His name was Robbie Norgard. I'll never forget him. And he was wearing them. And I asked him where he got them, and he gave me the name of a sporting goods store in Tijuana, and the next thing you knew, we had a dozen pair. <laughs> and by then, I had met some of the guys from Husky. Dick Lachine was the dealer that I had done all of my, you know, I hung out at his shop when I hung out. And uh, so I met Niels Arney and, <clears throat> um, oh, God, I can't even think of them. So many, um, you know, of course, Lars was around with Torsten Hallman. Right. And But most of it was based around Husqvarna. And then we, from there, you know, we took them to, we started out buying them just from the local sporting goods thing. And then I found out through a friend of mine, a friend of mine in Arizona, he was at the banquet to a fellow named Danny Martinez. And Danny was my official translator. And and Danny helped me track the manufacturer down, <clears throat> and then... In Mexico. <laughs> in Mexico. Yeah. yeah, I was down in a little town called Puebla, and God, we sold the crap out of them. We, <laughs> thanks to uh, Torsten Holman Racing, yeah. Lars Lars and, and Brigida, uh, Lars Larson and Brigida yep. Berlin were the principals that basically ran the business, and then, uh, and then we had started... Uh, we all we got started basically through mail order, and that's how we made our kind of our first impact. And, and through Lars, and and ultimately through guys like Kenderlein, Torleth Hansen, <clears throat> you know the Swedish mafia guys. Yeah, yeah that were doing the Trans AMAs and stuff. They, they exactly, were, yeah. you know, Wolfsink and and all of this. We were lucky enough to hook up with Joel, and he was our first rider. Were they were they thinner? Like they weren't as cool, as hot as the wool socks, or were they different colors? Or what was it that was so cool about them? Just, just they fit better. Well, they they were more they were cotton. Oh, ah, okay. One. Those, All right. those things we had to buy were wool, and God, you you buy those <laughs> things and they would itch like crazy. And yeah, yeah. You go through a pair of race and they look crappy and okay. So yeah, are, cotton and colors and thinner. Yeah. And, yeah. Right. Yeah, and these these are also the same model that. If you wash with a white jersey, you you ended up with a pink outfit right away. So, <laughs> be kind of careful. Yeah, and 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 that was it. Then you were off, huh? And, that was it. And JT TJ, everybody like I lived in San Diego. Everybody calls it TJ Tijuana. And you just said, hey, let's reverse that. That was it. Yeah, that well, it was real. I have to give her all the credit for that. We yep. had to get a business license, and I think everybody's heard that story and. Yeah. We either had a choice of going 
going to the back of the line or coming back the next day. And, yeah. And so I thought of just calling it TJ Racing and Rita in her infinite wisdom said, that doesn't sound too good. So <laughs> that's just history. And that was it. You were off from there. Yeah. Um, and then uh, expanding the line, you, you all of a sudden you realize there's a market, you're, you're successful, and all of a sudden jerseys and pants and, and all that came along, huh? Well, I think that most of it, it was sort of a, it was kind of like a, oh, Lord, it's kind of like a surviving a crash. You know, there, there was never really any plans. Mm-hmm. Things just started to happen. You know, I mentioned right. Kent and all those other guys, and the next thing you know, you know they kind of took us under the wing, and they introduced us to this guy and that guy, one of them being Bob Twin with Twin Air. We were the original importer for him for a while. And then, you know, Garrett was there, and he inspired. We tried handlebars for a while. Actually, we did really good. I can't even remember who made them now, but yeah, you know, it was just it was just sort of a my God, it was a it was a, almost like a Chinese fire drill, but it worked. <laughs> you know, there was there was so much. The sport was young, and mm-hmm. God, you couldn't didn't seem like you could do anything wrong, and uh, so we were lucky enough to be right there, the right place at the right time. Right, and, and as far as getting the pro riders, was it just a matter of getting Joel and, and and the Swedes on your side, and they they probably were pumped just to get free stuff, and it and it worked good, obviously, um, because you've always JT's always been known as the company that had you know all the riders, pretty much. Yeah, well, I think that again, um, I I'd never had any formal even in college you know i didn't i haven't had one course in business or anything i just yeah. knew to really i know my own, my strict sense was probably innate and i knew how to type and how to make change for a 20 <laughs> as far as my business experience right. but right. didn't it doesn't take much to you know you you just stand around just watch what other people are doing and it was obvious that if you wanted to get your name out one of the quickest ways was to is, was to hook up with the riders, and that's exactly what we did. Um, and then what at what point did you close down the pharmacy? And you were like, "Hey, wait a minute, this is like a real, a real deal." No, I think I, I hooked up with with Rolf Tiblin a little bit, and uh, um, my first trip to Europe was to go over and, and take care of some business with a twin air thing. And through that, I, I met a guy, his name was Joha Tiernan, through Roth. Roth knew him, Roth Tiblin. And so when I was at Amsterdam, I hooked up with Joha, which, by the way, he just uh, left here. He spent the week with me. And Joha was the founder. He was the first guy. I give him the credit for basically inventing uh, nylon and leather. He worked with a company called Coho. Okay, yeah, which made hockey equipment. That's it. Right. And and then subsequently he ended up with a company called Yoko, which everybody has, yeah. has heard of. Um, uh, yeah, Coho, me being Canadian, so I'm well aware of Coho and yeah. know, sort of where they came from. Um, let's talk about the V2000 now. Uh, did Hannah's HRP come out before before the V2000? It may have. It may have been. I was wondering if that's some, an inspiration of some sort. I think it it came to market a little bit before, but yep. the the V two thousand was a was a much more complicated project. Mm-hmm. 
you know, Hannah's stuff, a gentleman by the name of Chris Dawson, who ended up working for me, for, was the guy that spearheaded that project. Okay. And I had a guy here in, in Idaho in Sudden Valley by the name of John Dondaro, <clears throat> and also a guy that nobody's ever heard of before. His name was Jerry Parks. Uh, Jerry was instrumental in our R&D. He was my first employee, and, and he was working for us when we sold the company in 2001. Oh, wow. So that that wasn't the way we did it. It wasn't just kind of like falling off of a log. It was a lot of work went into that. Right, right. Uh, and what were some of the problems you had with it, or what were the early incarnations of that thing? Do, do you remember uh, sort of what worked and what didn't? Well, we went through we went through several, uh, not not as many as you would think, but some prototypes. And of course, we uh, we worked with uh, a few riders on developing a comfort level for it, and also to make sure that you know the protective aspects were there too. But it was a it was a long, laborious uh, project, though. Yeah, and and when you released it, what was the response like? I'm 36 years old, so, um, you know, I don't really remember. I remember, you know, wanting one as a kid. But when you released it, was it instantly popular? Was it uh, – did it take off right away? No, I no? think that we – one of the things that the, the professional guys, I don't – I can't even think of one right now that wore the whole thing. A lot of them wore the V1000, right. you know, the chest protector mm-hmm. version of it. And so we didn't. We were. <clears throat> we had good luck there getting riders to wear it, but not too many of them wore the full, the full coverage yeah. model. We had a version we made for three wheelers that we had some guys wear it a little bit. But. Oh yeah, with the uh, with the belly open. The, right. Yeah. Exactly. I think I've seen Bailey. Some photos of Bailey on the Honda wearing, like an '83 or '82, wearing a full V2000. But you're right. Not not a lot of guys did. Yeah. Um, uh, and then I guess. So that there wasn't a, a huge seller right away because I, all I know is well, I'm coming from experience of growing up. They were everywhere I look at the local races, you know. Well, I think the the average rider uh, pretty well accepted it. Right, right. You know, as far as the comfort level wearing the thing, I never. I wore it all the time. I raced desert back then, and and uh, so I think uh, uh, that was one thing that you know parents were pushing their kids to do whatever they could <clears throat> to avoid any kind of an injury. And, and I think uh, a lot of parents are responsible for getting that on a lot of people. And then I, I've always felt if you had an ounce of brains at all, you'd be silly not to wear either that or some kind of yeah. chest and back protection. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you know, looking through some old magazines I have, um, good God, just, just I mean, just every – Every name was wearing JT. At one point, you had to have, you know, out of the top 20, you probably had 17 or 18 of the top 20 guys. Um, were they seeking you out, to, or were you were you just, at the time, compared to the companies that were around, were you more aggressive? Were you paying more, or were they riders just coming to you because of the quality of the and the looks of the stuff? How did you manage to get so many guys? <laughs> well, I think that, that we were right back then – uh, like I said earlier, we were kind of the, the first ones you uh-huh. know, to do it and, and, and try to get on board with it. Uh, some came to us, for sure, and then, of course, we pro- approached a, a fair number of them, too. Mm-hmm. 
we tried to get the best guys on it, and we you know we started yeah. out with the very first one was although he this was uh, the V two thousand came after Joel, but starting with him it was just a matter of going to races and introducing yourself and you know kind of hitting it off with different people and working out different things with different people. Right. It wasn't until I guess kind of in in Hannah's. Uh, his little, you know, when he first started, that we started to kind of formalize, you know, with contracts and right. and actively seeking seeking riders and paying bonuses, and it got fairly sophisticated. Yeah, you know, in in the late seventies. Mm-hmm. Uh, did it ever get to a point where you were wondering, you know, sort of, you know, how much were you going to pay these guys? Was or was business just booming so good that it was it was no problem to just keep adding guys? Or was business uh, just just blowing up at this point, early eighties? Well, yeah, it was doing it was doing really well. Yeah, and but about then everybody, you know, kind of started catching on to what we were doing too. Right, Fox you know, came around uh, in the yeah early eighties, huh? Well, Fox has kind of always been there. Uh, but then some of the, like Cinesalo came over here, they established their own offices here, like up in Irvine. And they were pay- <clears throat> they were paying guys a lot of money. And, it, and, you know, we had a, I guess we had a pretty, you know, pretty good deal for a while until our competition moved in. You know, Answer and O'Neill and Fox and goes in Cinesalo and others. And we just we just no longer could afford to have all of them like we you know yeah. we had at one time. Yeah, yeah. Ward left for Cinesalo. R.J. left for Cinesalo. Although he would come back years later. O'Mara for answer. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, again, you still had you know most of the most of the top riders. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think know. that one of the good things about that we we had some some really loyal guys too, mm-hmm. and and. Uh, that was a huge factor, and it even I think that's one of the reasons that Reed and I were inducted into the AMA was because of that loyalty, and thanks to Hannah and, and Brock and and some of the guys that knew us along the years. But we we always prided ourselves, or I always did, on on the relationships that we you know we had with our riders. Right, right. And then as the years went on, it became, you know, more and more difficult to hang on to guys because, my God, they were being paid. <laughs> you could only afford one or two really good ones. Yeah. Uh, what's the most you paid for a rider? What was the most uh, biggest contract you gave out? Was it RJ, like 89? No. No? Uh, I think the biggest cash thing we ever did, we worked out, was with Bale. Oh, yeah? When he came over. But our deal there included... Uh, a goggle also. Mm-hmm. So he was he was out he was J T that one year, head to toe, he had everything. Right. Um and then probably after that, I don't know, uh Ricky was up there. Yeah. Bob was probably our first really high ticket rider. Yeah. Uh, I, I I heard a story. I don't know if it's true, man. You can confirm this. Uh, a friend of mine worked for J T in the early nineties out east as a rep. And he said that uh, one of the reasons that you sort of sold the company, started becoming disillusioned with it a little bit, was right around the early 90s. Um, you know, you had some riders signed up under contracts, and they just they weren't showing up for photo shoots, or they would show up a day late, or, 
you know, you would put a lot of effort into doing a catalog shoot and, and, and these guys would kind of blow it off or something. Um, and you just got to be real, really uh, disillusioned by it. Is that, is that true? I don't know who you're talking to. I'd like to know the guy's name. He didn't know what the fuck he was. Excuse me. He didn't know what he was talking about. <laughs> you could swear on this. That's all right. Um, he didn't. He didn't have a clue. Okay. So the so the the uh, the, the story that that's not true. You, you you were you didn't have problems like that. The, the, the no. Contrast. You know, as, like as a matter of fact, it was just the opposite. Oh yeah. Okay. You know, we we'd have guys come up and and we, we always made a day out of it, and we always had uh, fun. But they always look really, they looked forward to it. Yeah, yeah. You know, they, if you want to say anything about people that, I, you know, that, that were showed up, well, we had Ronnie sometimes would show up late, but he always showed <laughs> imagine, up. Imagine that. <laughs> and then we had, you know, Brock was next door, and my God, I've, I've seen some of the old files on Brock. We must have taken three million pictures of that guy. Yeah, Brock. Say, they, yeah, Brock says he still has some prototype stuff, and he just, he was heavily involved, obviously working mm, with you. Uh, but every, every single writer, I can't think of anybody mm-hmm. that we ever had a hard time with a photo session. Okay, that, I, that's 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 yeah. totally untrue. That if there's one thing we we had a, a great deal of success with it was at, it was at a photo shoot right, I guarantee right. you yeah it's a it's a moto myth it's a moto yeah. legend myth moto um, myth yeah um hey what's the what's the what's the coolest thing you're proud of uh for for all the products that you've come out with what's what either sold the most or what are you the most proud of is it the V2000 or is there something else that you know uh the the helmet maybe um is there one idea that that stands above the rest well, there were there were a couple. The V two thousand I mentioned before yeah. was was kind of our pride and joy, and mm-hmm. we put so much work into it. The helmet was was incredible. Yeah, uh, we were. I think we were way before our time on that particular product. And, I would agree. Yeah, and we you know we worked with uh, two or three manufacturers during the course of the history of that thing. Mm-hmm. And I, I I still I still wear a, a JT helmet. Do you really? Yeah. I have some yeah. of the extra fit kits uh, that I saved through the years, and I still wear them at the ranch. Oh I wow! Before they were practically <laughs> brand new. It's, yeah. It's as good as it got. The only thing we didn't have, and it hurt us a lot, was not being Snell approved in those days. Yeah, I can. You know, I can vouch today, for that. Today, today, yeah. everybody's DOT and Snell. I don't yep. know. They've changed the, the standards so much; it's hard to keep track with exactly how they did that. Yeah, yeah, I can vouch for that because I, I lived. I'm a Canadian, and, and we couldn't wear them up there, and because uh, it had to be Snell approved, and it was, uh, you know, it was a big crushing blow for sure. Um, yeah. Um, because they were the coolest things out there. So, so the helmet and the chest protector. A couple ideas that you're super proud of. Yeah, I think yeah. those are the main ones for sure. And right. we, we we had almost everything we did. I thought we kind of tried to make a little bit better mousetrap and yeah we had we had some others that were very successful you know the mousetrap that we the mouth guard the yep. old jofa kind of a model mm-hmm. and the, the the old original face fender thing uh you know we so good god we sold so many of those i couldn't even count them what, what, what you, uh, you're talking about the jofa thing or, or what else was it no it was a uh, remember I don't know if you remember or not, but the one before full face helmets were out, mm-hmm. uh, people were just putting a. I think uh, Nobby Shop International came out with the very first one. Just yeah, like a Scott uh, mask too. Scott came out. No, no, no. It was oh. the thing that bolted to the lower part of the helmet. 
Oh, okay. Yeah, right, right. No, I got you. Yeah. People, I don't know what they even call them. Face yeah, mouth guards or something. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so you sold a ton of those? Bunch of them. Right. Bunches of those. Um, uh, but the I, helmet was never successful. It wasn't? Because of, right. of we didn't have, you know, they weren't snow approved. Mm-hmm. The AMA uh, didn't require snow approval and, and for liability reasons. Mm-hmm. But we were able, as long as it was DOT approved, then yeah. it was okay with them. Right. Yeah, no, the helmet's still. Like I said, I got. I'm looking at it right now. It's still. Uh, I could. I was a mechanic for uh, Factory Yamaha, and yeah. a guy traded me his JTALS2 for a complete set of plastic off Tim Ferry's motorcycle, and I, I feel like I just ripped him off so bad. Well, maybe you did. <laughs> I did. I did. I, I couldn't get that plastic fast enough <laughs> off the bike, but uh, uh, so they. But they didn't sell that good, huh? No, and, no, and the reason being what we just it's talked now, yeah, about. Yeah. For some reason, people were, were had been browbeat and yeah. had been uh, uh, beat into their heads so many years about Snell being the only standard that was safe. Yeah, yeah. When in fact, for off road, uh, DOT was a, was a much better standard. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I don't know yeah. what finally brought the two together, but I know at the time that it was impossible to right. have. A DOT approved helmet that would meet the Snell would meet the Snell standard. Right, and even just the shape of the shell is unique. You still don't see that kind of shape, and you know, yeah, just a just a groundbreaking uh, thing. Yeah, no, no, no. And I always thought the goggles were pretty good too. I wore the goggles for many years, and uh, they were a quality goggle compared to a Scott or an Oakley, you know, which was the top of the line back then. So. Well, I think that that the goggle was one of the reasons how how we kind of got started in the whole thing. Uh, Scott was in financial trouble in the early 80s, and, and we were fortunate enough to be able to hire a couple of their people in Sun Valley. And, that again, that goes back to my roots. Yeah. They wouldn't leave Sun Valley, so that's why <laughs> I started the R&D thing up there. But our goggle was a good goggle and still is. I, I still, of course, here I go. I, <laughs> I still, still have a, quite a few around, but I'd still wear it today. Right, right. Yeah, no, I, I wore it for many years. I just thought it was uh, really good. Um so, okay, so we covered some of the best ideas. What are some of the worst ideas, or what are some of the things that, that didn't work that you thought would be awesome or, or, you know, vice versa that just didn't work, period? Were there any products that stood out? I got one for you. Uh, okay, let's have yours. What about first. the Flexon glove? Uh, <laughs> well, <laughs> we, we sold a bunch of them. Yeah. Yeah. I knew we were in trouble. We gave one to oh, to David uh, Bailey, and yeah. God, it came back, and he completely modified his. But <laughs> that was just one of those things you tried. We, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. It's, it's, it, you know, we we you won't believe it. We sold a ton of them. Right, right. Okay. Uh, is there is there something else? That, that's just my own idea. But uh... well, you know, everybody. We had so many complaints about the V two thousand not being comfortable enough. We came out with a different. Uh, uh, full coverage uh, shoulder pad a little bit later, and yeah. it it was a total bomb. You know, that was kind of <laughs> when it have a hinge on it, didn't it? Did it have a hinge? Oh, I don't know what it okay. had on it, but whatever it had on it, it didn't work. It wasn't good. <laughs> didn't 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 uh, have much of appeal. Right. Uh, so that that was probably uh, one of the things. Yeah, that was yeah. The, probably the costliest mistake we ever made. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's got to be weird because, like you said, like some some things hit and you don't really know why, and some things miss and you I guess the same thing. You don't really know why, right? Yeah, right. Um, no, it, I think nearly every one of our products it was all part of that 
you know, that time when when we just couldn't do anything wrong. Right, right, right. And then and then we kind of reached a a point in the company when it was it was possible to do something wrong. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, biggest seller in JT's history: the mouth guard, the V two thousand. Biggest thing you sold. Most well, profitable, I, most I, profitable, biggest thing. However, you want to measure it. Well, I think that that our line of gloves obviously had to be. We probably sold more gloves than we did any other single product. Yeah. But there were several involved in several different models, but we sold a lot of a lot of the mouth guards, a lot of the plastic stuff, and it yep. was a high margin, uh, sometimes high ticket item that was uh, very very lucrative for us. Right. Right. Oh, interesting. Um, and then, uh, as far as riders, do you, do you have um, do you have a, do you have a favorite? Do you have one guy you worked with that just was awesome? Maybe Brock. You know, I I think when when you go back, it's it's kind of like if you have ten kids, you know, which one do you kill first? And <laughs> right. you just you can't you you really can't pick one. We mm-hmm. we had so many different experiences with all all of them, you know. I think uh, what I alluded to earlier, along with the lines of being loyal, that the ones that I I have my fondest memories of were the guys that were the that were the most loyal to us. But but I mean, my God, you can go down the whole, whole list. You know, Brock and and Laporte and Hannah and and you know Wolfsink. I mean, they were they were all. I I always prided myself in we you know I. I guess it just kind of boiled down to I just didn't work with an asshole, and that's all there was to it. <laughs> yeah, Not yeah. saying that all the rest of no, them yeah, were, yeah, yeah. but the guys that we worked with, we got along with so well, and obviously right. some worked with us a lot longer than others. You know, David, my God, yeah. the work that he did, and, and not very many people know, but David's responsible. He, he did a lot, you know, to help us with... Uh, uh, in the latter years in logo design, the new logo that JT currently uses that was that was David's idea. Oh, really? Oh. Yeah, yeah. He was, David's a talent, big talent. Yeah, yeah. But to pick to pick one, yeah. I, I just you know I can tell stories about every one of them, but I I yeah. just wouldn't I just wouldn't pick one. Yeah. Well, you should tell us some machine stories for sure. Yeah. Well. <laughs> There's too many of those. Yeah. <laughs> oh. not, you know, not not so many. Not right. so many. I, you know, we'd known. Like I said, when I first started racing, I didn't even know I, Dick was a Husky dealer. <laughs> yeah, he was Honda and, and Husky. He had a Honda Lemon Grove in uh, Lemon Grove, California. Like way before oil, right? Like you wasn't into oil then, or was he? We we weren't. I wasn't into anything when I started working with Dick, and so yeah. I knew I knew Ronnie when he was a little bitty kid. Right. Right. Know? God, we watched him born practically. In fact, he's he, you know, he's I think two years old, something like that. First time I saw him. Oh yeah, no, he's a he's a good friend of mine now. Um, I do quite a bit with him, and he's a he's a he's a talent and a character for sure. Yeah, he's uh, there's well, they're all all of them are right. special. Every uh, one of them are special. Talk about the idea behind the bad bones gear. What uh, how'd that come about? Well. Um, Again, that was that. I think Ronnie probably, you know, that was during his time, mm-hmm. and we had a fellow working for us, Chris Dawson, who right now he's. I think he's one of the. Um, he's working with with uh, Malcolm Smith designing his stuff, and Chris kind of uh, was kind of got that whole thing going. Huh. But it was 
it was kind of, you know, when Ricky was with um, uh, Life's a Beach and, yeah. you know, that growling-looking logo that they had. Right. So it didn't really fit one particular person. It was just kind of a, you know, a bad boy kind Image, of Image, right. Yeah. We stuck it on a couple of people. Or it fit best on Ronnie at the time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, and then also the Dalmatians, which was uh, Ronnie's favorite gear. He that was me. totally, yeah. you know, that whole thing came about because of his name. And yep. I thought it'd be fun to do. And, and uh, it, it, I think outside of the stuff that uh, Bob wore, you know, in the late 70s, uh-huh. that's probably one of the most successful Oh really? Signature, signature lines yep. that we had. Yeah, yeah. We, yeah. Had, we had boots and everything. Yeah, no, it was crazy. And and actually, you made him some one-off stuff that had Dalmatians on the back, also. Um, right. That he wore, which I mean, I had the Dalmatians, but it was standard stuff, obviously. But uh, and by then, David was painting helmets, and David also painted some helmets for Ronnie too. Yeah. It was. It was. I think it's even today. It looks uh, maybe a little weird, but I like it. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, and, that, and that was that was the first photo shoot. I'm not going to say that Ronnie was never on time, but right, boy, he right. was on time for that one because he knew <laughs> we were going to have about seven Dalmatian puppies, and I, yeah, I think he he was actually early for that one and stayed and stayed all day. Yeah, I can picture the uh, the, yeah. the the ad now with his mullet and uh, and the seven the seven dogs all over him. And he had his uh, 88 Destinations helmet in the bottom of the photo, actually. Yeah, you can tell just by the expression on his face yeah. he was having fun. Yeah. Which goes goes back again to what you said earlier about these guys not liking photo shoots. Right, right. Yeah. They, 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 every one of them loved that. Right, we can squish that. Uh, yeah. What was it like working with JMB? How, how was that? I mean, he won you, uh, won you some championships and some titles. Um, what was it like? What do you remember about JMB? He's one of the nicest kids we ever worked with. Yeah, I loved yep. him. You know, he even came to Idaho a couple of times. He just he just showed up at the door. He <laughs> got that little pickup of his and came up here. We went. Yep. He liked to fish. We played once or twice. We would one on one paintball. I loved the guy. Yeah, but, yeah. But unfortunately, you know, back in those days, French guys didn't sell anything. Uh huh. And uh, although he was our main rider back then, you know, it, we it, it was a little it was after all of these other products had come out, and we didn't really have anything that we could use a, a rider of his caliber to promote. And right. He was kind of he was kind of trying to maintain our position, and and nobody liked him. My God, we go to races and they boo him. I remember and. I think it was in Oklahoma City. I wasn't there, but Rita was, and she said when he won one championship, the crowd just booed him like he was a yeah a terrorist or something. <laughs> um, well, that's uh, I have this question written down: was how you know how tough was that? Because yeah, I mean, motocross action at the time didn't do him any favors, and you know he was a little quiet and shy, and and um, you know I just did a podcast, I just did one of these shows with Dave Arnold, who uh, you know who loves J and B, but said he was stubborn and kind of had his own way about him, um, so. Yeah, one of the questions I had was, it, it didn't help you in sales, did it? Winning those no. three titles in one year and all that. Yeah. No, not a bit. I don't think we obviously we got a lot of exposure. From, right. Sure, but it didn't. Maybe we, it was a combination of that and just not having, you know, that magic product, that magic bullet to kind of right. throw around. And God knows, motocross action never tried to help us very much. So. Yeah. 
What's the relationship like with Jody and all that? Was it was it tough? It was non-existent. Really? That's a lot of money you pouring into for ads. Yeah, I know, but you know, it was one of those things. But in in the later years, you know, we pulled we pulled most of that out. We went with Davey and you know guys like that. Right, so. right. Um, and then also too, uh, you know, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. While Fox comes out with zebra striped pants and polka dots, and you know, uh, uh, you know, the market was changing a little bit. People were taking your some of your ideas and running with it, and I guess that's what competition is, right? Yeah, guess so. But that, whoever said that's the sincerest form of flattery, I'd like to have a talk with him. <laughs> Obviously, he was Chinese or something. I don't right, know, right, I don't right. Know what he was? Uh, <laughs> he wouldn't like me. Yeah, he wouldn't be a big fan of you, huh? Um, and then also, uh, what? Uh, how did you start getting into the Tai Chi stuff? How did that come about? With because uh, it was sort of JT-ish, right? You distributed. Yeah. Well, you know, Tai Chi was a big dis- importer of ours. Uh-huh. And at the time, you know, they were on the gas and doing, that was during those times when the Japanese were just, couldn't stop them doing anything, real estate uh-huh. or motocross, it didn't matter. And so we helped them develop their own line. Okay, all right. So uh, financially, you still had a stake in it a little bit? Uh, other than, n- no more than just a... Um, supplier and manufacturer for yeah Yeah, i always wondered because like you know jmb left after 91 and kind of yet still wore tight yeah i don't know it was a weird deal well it's one of those things when the japanese are paying ungodly amounts of money for riders you must have heard some of them what they were paying i don't know if they ever got paid or not i heard they some did and some didn't but they you know, they sucked uh, Danny out and and uh, Bale, and they were working with, I think, uh, Kevin Swans at the time. They were paying him, like, millions of dollars, really, yeah, yeah. something like that. Yeah, Matasevich, uh, Larry Ward, all were too. Yeah, yeah, they were. They picked up quite a few. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, I, did, I always wondered that story. Um, and then how did you get into paintball? Was it just a hobby, like just a, a passion of yours? Well, you know, about that time, it, it was so hard in motocross. Margins were down. Everybody uh-huh. was uh, had started going to uh, Taiwan and hadn't started with China yet. But God, it just got so tough to 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 make a margin. And and uh, one day, Marty Tripes, you know, Marty at the time, we had a retail store. Mm-hmm nearby that that marty had helped us with before and marty was always project oriented and one i remember one night i not very many people know this but marty was quite a seamstress oh, no, I, no. I, yeah. we we had a sew shop there and i heard a machine rattling one night about uh-huh. seven o'clock and i said god i thought i was the only one here and i went in and it found tripes hunched over a sewing machine sewing up something. I said, what are you doing? And yeah. he said, I'm making, he was making a hood for paintball. And he said, you ought to, you ought to come and play with me. And I did, and I never had so much fun in my life. It was yeah. almost as much fun as riding a bike. Huh. And so because of that one little trip that, that uh, I took with Marty, that kind of got me inspired. We started to look into it and found out that <clears throat> these guys were running around with 
absolutely no protection for their eyes at all. Yeah. Other than sunglasses and shop goggles and ski <laughs> goggles and motor, motocross goggles. And at that time, there was absolutely n- no rule, it didn't seem to be as well as I remember, governing the speed of the paintball. Now it's very closely regulated. Right. Back then it wasn't. I mean, my God, you could go through a quarter-inch piece of plywood with one of those things. Really, huh? Yeah, they were bad. <laughs> yeah, and it was, it, eye injuries were quite common, and we modified one of our goggles, and from the, I think the day we entered the market with that goggle, we were back ordered. Even the the day that I signed the final papers when we sold it. Really, huh? Just that just took off, just like Moto in the '80s and early '80s. Unbelievable, even more than that. Yeah, and, and you were selling. Uh, the, you were just was the paintball mask just the JT goggle uh, middle and face protector, or was That's- it a special paintball thing? Well, the only difference between the 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 motocross model and the paintball model was the thickness of the lens. Okay. And uh, motocross lenses use a thirty thousandths Lexan sheet that's fairly flexible, and we had we come up with a hundred thousandths thick lens. You could shoot it with a shotgun and not and not right. break it. Wow. So it was it was an easy it was a fairly easy thing to get into, and of yeah. course. Everything that we'd learned in moto, we applied to paintball. Right. I mean, right down to putting numbers on the backs of players and their names and all that stuff. Right. And, you had, yeah, you had little helmets you came out with, little uh, paintball Well, didn't, the pros didn't wear helmets, but uh, later on, today they have helmets, but back then they didn't. Yeah. And, um, yeah, and I guess with the sales, you were just like, hey, wait a minute. This is uh, too much to ignore here. i got to look into it this. Was, it was way too much, and I should have gotten out of motocross before I did, mm-hmm. and then it would have been fun because we were we were paintball was paying the bills, and we were trying to keep motocross afloat. So there was a period there where paintball was totally dependent on, uh, or not moto, not paintball, but motocross, motocross was, was totally on dependent on paintball just to you know keep the doors open. And would would this have been like what years would this have been? Ninety five, ninety four, like somewhere around there, or mm, earlier yeah, than that even? Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, 90, in the early, say the first half of of uh, of say ninety to ninety five. Paintball started for us in about eighty eighty six, eighty seven. Oh, was that early? Oh, I didn't know yeah, that. Oh, yeah. okay. paintball started in the early eighties. In fact, it may have even started before that, but yeah, it started to become really popular in in the eighties, and then uh huh. Continued on. It was really, it was really ramping up in the early '90s, and that's uh, <clears throat> about oh around the Bale years and all that was when it was really starting yeah, to take off. Yeah, that's that's when we started to make the transition. Right, right. Um, I still say JT made the nicest over the boots gear out there. By the way, <laughs> well, thanks. Uh, uh, I thought that was pretty sweet. Tim Ferry wore it in Washougal '96. Um, what would you do? Different if you had to do it all over again. Anything? Any regrets? You mean just in motocross? Yeah, in motocross. Just uh, all the stuff you've done. God, I don't know. You know, yeah. there were. I think one of the reasons that that you want to talk about things that kind of bum me out that were lawsuits. We. Oh yeah. Toward the end of the, the motocross part of it, all I did was was. Uh, Give depositions and go to them and really, huh? And look up cr- 
crap for lawyers, and it was unbelievable. Uh, um, The lawsuits we were involved in. Like people breaking an arm and suing the chest v- you for the V two thousand or whatever that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. They, you know, there's one guy I remember in Florida. He got hit on a motor on a Yamaha. He got some some little kid center punched him with a four wheeler, and and my God, you know, he just went down the whole list. He was wearing our knee and shin, so we got drug into it because of that, and. Yamaha was pulled into it, and Bell, I mean, every company yeah. he had on there. I think he'd been through it two or three times before. Uh, but it was really frustrating. You know, right, right. Cool. And and, uh, and meanwhile, the paintball guys are, are no, they're happy. <laughs> well, they're happy, but they know how to sue, too. Oh, so. uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, <laughs> we right. didn't, But it was much more lucrative than paintball, so it didn't hurt quite so much. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. Um, so, yeah, uh, so nothing you'd really do different, huh? Like, uh Pull out earlier, I guess. Pull out a motocross earlier. <laughs> well, no, yeah, maybe. Yeah. No, not especially that. Yeah. But, you know, it's. Uh, I think that it's it's all part of when you when you we were one of the first ones to do that, and 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 um, you know I think a lot of the things we did we you know we we did as well as we could have done it and. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't do any good to try to relive it. I don't know of anything that we could have done that would have improved the yeah. the charisma of the company. Actually, I think we did a lot of things right. Um, There's a lot of little things, but yeah. nothing nothing major like you know. Yeah, that just would have blown it one way or the other. Yeah, yeah. Uh, actually, one question I did have: the pink gear that Brock wore and Jackie Vimon wore, and actually Vimon was out at Bercy this weekend with. Uh, with it on, and oh, by the way, I told Xavier that you said hi too. By the way, good. All uh, right. Uh, uh, the pink gear, uh, your idea? I know Brock said at the time he did not want to wear, it, but uh, was that your idea? Well, yeah, it was our idea. You know, it was back in those days, we were just like today when they want to do something new, they come up with these squirrely looking yeah. patterns that, my God, they look like they they've been tattooed from head to foot. All all we had back in those days, since the printing process was fairly limited we just used different colors and i just thought it you know i the pink would just kind of shock people and yeah and so we made that outfit up for brock and he absolutely refused to <laughs> you heard the whole story and yeah because the japanese were there and he thought they'd think you know kind of anyway but He's... when he put it on he had to ride fast so it worked out uh did you sell much of it i know it was for sale in the magazines no, but yeah no not not a lot. No. And it wasn't one of those extremely. But Brock wouldn't, he didn't like to wear it, you know. Yeah. I guess in retrospect, I don't really blame him. But <laughs> but, but Jackie really liked it, and yeah. we sold quite a, bit of, quite a bit of it in France. For yeah, sure. Jackie's almost sort of known for it, you know. Um, yeah. He wore the Jack, helmet and everything, yeah. He, he loved it, you know. It's yeah. just. The French. Oh, the French. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, um, the uh, the the pink gear was certainly pretty shocking. And one of the stories that uh, I heard, I think Lachine told me this, was you guys had the ability to like. It was really cool back in the day because you could take with your with your sewing shop, you could just take any panels and sew them on anywhere you wanted, and you would have a custom pair of pants in like an hour. Is oh that, yeah, is that true? Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. He said it was always cool to be down there because somebody would be like, "Hey, why don't we take." This back panel and this front panel and this spandex, and we'll make it, you know, um, which nowadays never really happens. So. Well, I think that's that's one of the, the neat things. Uh, again, it goes back to 
it wasn't just photo shoots those guys would come down for, but we had, we had you know, David would come down and uh-huh. uh, Bailey would come down and spend all day with us, and he loved to just mess with things. Yeah. we try this and try that and lycra here and invented stuff there, and we were always doing something different. Uh, the flow orange certainly was uh, one of the more standout looks. Standout looks from JT over the years. Yeah, yeah. That now that one did pretty well though. Did it? Yeah. That, yeah. that one did good. Yeah. yeah. Uh, um, and and also too, uh, your boots. Uh, how were the boots for you? Did they sell good? Were they? Uh, you know that we did okay with the boots, but yeah. there weren't huge numbers. Um, uh, again, you know, everybody, we always tried to work with a good company. We worked with Alpine Stars and yeah. Guy Ernie and Axo and and uh, one or two others uh, earlier and one maybe one or two later. Mm-hmm. But it was always something that kind of, com- you know, completed the line. The, the boot guys were always really on top of it, and they kind of kept, the you know, the best stuff, and you can't blame them for that for sure for themselves. Yeah. Uh, I heard a story a while ago that, you know, you were one of the first companies to put the OEM names on the side of their pants, like Honda, Japan, Yamaha, and all that. Uh, I always think they should still do that, but they stopped you from doing that? Is that is that a true story? Because it, well, just, it was their name? They own it? Yeah, they 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 really didn't stop us. Oh, okay. uh, we We just quit doing it because we were... You know, we were paying these guys all the money and didn't see after a while that, you know... Uh, they started coming in and asking for a five or ten percent royalty. Well, that was BS. <laughs> so we just left them off. Oh, okay, all right, yeah. But but for sure, if if we hadn't had that pressure from the factories, we would have continued on. And once we got pressure from, you know, one or two of them, then we couldn't really complete the line. Yeah, yeah. And by then, I was so sick of dealing with attorneys. I just saw it as one more way to avoid, yeah. you know, spending time in court and paying a, a lawyer. Yeah. I always thought they should go back to that, but I guess there you go. Now I know why, you know. Well, I think the big reason, if you know, five or ten percent on a product today makes yeah. makes a big difference in whether you can be competitive with it or not. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, for sure. Um, is there is there a secret bunker somewhere where you have all of this JT stuff still brand new, still on, <laughs> in packages? Is there is there a, is there you know, Area Fifty One uh, of JT Racing? You know, I, I can kick myself. I can remember we had a, a tax issue with the uh, state of California one time. They came in and audited our books, and one of the first things they saw was all the stuff that we gave to our riders, and they uh-huh. wanted to know, well, did those guys pay sales tax on it? Yeah. And I said, well, God, no, they didn't pay sales tax on it. Well, guess who paid the sales tax on all that stuff that we gave away? That would be you. So, so for the next two or three years, this isn't about stuff that was in packages. So we'd ask the riders for all that crap back. Uh huh. And we had, we had, oh my lord, we had tons of it. And so finally, I, some of the kids that worked there, uh, we, I didn't want to just throw it away. So we'd put it in a van and, and I'd let them keep the money and they'd go to the swap meet with it. But we sold all that stuff. You know, we were. Yeah. We were trying to get as much of it back just so yeah. we wouldn't have to pay the sales tax. Pay the sales tax on it. Wow. Yeah. You know, that might But, no, there's yeah. not a – you know, I'm amazed at how many different people have come up with stuff that's still in the package. I have just a, a few things, but it was later toward the end of right. end of a JT thing that I have. I don't have any of the, the stuff left over 
Well, maybe a few things. I got. I think I've got one of Ricky's. We made some special stuff for him. I've got some of that that's brand new. But oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But they're okay. But there are individuals around that are really into that. I met that is his name. Oh Lordy, uh, Johnny O'Hanna or what's yeah. his name? Yeah, Johnny yeah. O'Hanna. Yeah. Yeah, he's a neat guy. I met him in Las Vegas, and yep. I don't know. He sounds like he might have some of it. He's but. got some of it. Some of it's made up, though. It's not real. He got the logos, you know, put on a cotton jersey or whatever, which was yeah. still pretty innovative. But um, so okay, so there is no secret bunker. No secret bunker. <laughs> Interesting. Um, uh, what about when you uh, paintball started picking up? Things started happening. Moto was sliding a little bit. Who buys the company? Who approaches you? How does that go? And uh, are you more than happy to, to wash your hands of it at that point? Well, I think that anybody in the industry, I think along the way, just about everybody would have thanked God if they could have gotten off the horse somehow. But, mm-hmm. you know, my analogy is is being on a horse that you can't get off of, you can you know, you can steer it left or right, and sometimes it slows down, and sometimes it speeds up. But you're on it for life, and and paintball put us into a position that that got us some attention from uh, you know publicly held companies. One of them being a company called Brass Eagle. They were had something to do with the Daisy Air Rifle people, and Brass Eagle was their paintball division. And we were becoming more and more aggressive, and and um, I got the uh, the the Walmart account for um, paintball, and seemed like within <laughs> seemed like it was the next day the phone rang and <laughs> they wanted to talk. And and after after I'd been through this thing of people coming to and kicking your tires and right, right. wanting to buy, in, and then they wouldn't have any money or they you know it was such a hassle that that uh, I asked them for a huge, big deposit, and God, lo and behold, there it was. And I knew they were serious about buying, and two uh-huh. months it was all over. But it was a big relief. You know, I was 60. Uh, Rita was – there was a lot of pressure in that company. My God, you can't believe it. You know, we were privately held, and we had our houses mortgaged. We we were yeah. – yeah. by the time we got to paintball, we were in, in – incredibly profitable but we could remember those times when we weren't right and it was a it was a good time and it was a good opportunity for us to get out with with a good return on on our investment over the years so we just took advantage of it right right and and obviously a, a good enough uh a sale where you don't have to work anymore um, that's right yeah yeah i guess you can't really blame you <laughs> no not really uh, um and then how did now for, forgive my ignorance but how did Brass Eagle do with the JT line? Is it still going strong? Well, I don't know about going. No, I know it's not going strong. Okay. Not going strong anymore in paintball? Uh, no. I had uh, I hired a kid by the name of Dave DeHaan, and at the time he was the um, he was the best paintball player, one of the best paintball players in the world. I was amazed at the number of people that recognized him on the street. Well, Dave eventually became my son-in-law. He married Rhonda, our oldest daughter. And uh, they've kind of picked up where, I think, where the Brass Eagle people, uh, they just didn't have, they don't have the fire in the belly that an independently owned company does. Yeah. And the minute, the minute you, 
you know, the minute you buy a little company from a couple of people that that put their lives into it, yeah, you know, the, the literally fire, their lives. The fire yeah. goes down, right. and then, which is good for for my family in the long run because Dave and Rhonda, their company is called Die Precision. They're the number one paintball in the in the in the world today. Wow. In a yeah, way, uh, in a way, John Gregory, you've done it again. In a way, <laughs> in a way, yeah, you're right. Uh, but it, no, it it just uh, and then and then Brass Eagle sold, and then my God, now I I, I think that the people that that license uh, Dre and those guys, I I wouldn't be surprised if they didn't even know they even had the brand at the time. Really, they're, they're that yeah. big. Yeah, they were they were, they were, we were just a drop in the bucket. Yeah. I, I have I haven't kept up with the paintball part of it, but I know that. But what I hear through other people and through Dave and Rhonda that that uh, they're not doing it's it's not the same anymore. In other yeah, words. yeah. Now the, the 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 new guys that are starting JT, they would have went to the new owners to license the the logo and the name and all the moto stuff, right? Not you. Yeah, that's correct. Right, right. Well, I, I had absolutely nothing to do with that yeah. whatsoever. I just got a phone call one day, and it was all a, probably the same surprise to me as it was to you. Right. Weird that the uh, the company gave them, like, the I don't know, just weird that the paintball company, I guess, from you took the motocross logos and everything. I guess that's just part of the sale. You know what I mean? Like, uh, when the paintball stuff came in, you know, the, the, the moto logos weren't necessarily used on it, but I guess they own it all. So well, by that time, we were using, uh, even in motocross, we had begun to use the new logo. Uh, okay. and I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure they'll eventually, they they can use that logo, but yeah. they chose to, to go basically full retro yeah. on yeah. their introduction. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I, Tortelli gave me a hat, and it's the old gold wreath 70s logo. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, talking about your swap meet story of old JT stuff, when I was a kid, my parents took me to San Diego to go riding. I was from Canada, obviously. I went riding, went, went with Marty Smith. I kind of have a relationship with Marty a little bit. Um, and we went to Tijuana, and we were looking at some motorcycle stores, and I found a pair of pants that had uh, red bad bones on the front, and they were personalized Honda down the back of the leg, and then, and then they, they had some name on the back that I never recognized. And I bet you those are the, one of those pants you got back from somebody. That they sold at a swap meet, which now pisses me off that I never bought those. <laughs> could, could have been. There was some really some neat stuff. Yeah, yeah. some one-off stuff that went out there that of course, we, we lost track of. Uh, my family and I were like, "Take these out, these personalized JTs." And then uh, I don't know, the guy maybe wanted too much money for them. Who knows? They could have been Bale's pants or something. They look new. Yeah, they were new, but they were they were oh. personalized with the name on the back and you know and all that stuff, but. Well, by that time, there were some pretty innovative people in Mexico. They were kind oh, of yeah. do whatever they wanted to also. Yeah, and also, yeah, too, um, later on in my in my life, I remember a buddy of mine bought, like, a fake V2000, like a Chinese V2000. Yeah, that was one that uh, it was made in Taiwan. We okay. were successful in stopping that. We had several patents on that product. Did you? Okay, yeah. So um, I don't remember. You know, I had no logos on it or anything. Look, look like a ripoff, obviously. Yeah, it was. There was one almost exact. Uh, that was a, a Thor thing. They they were the ones that did it. Oh, really? Oh. Oh, wow. Um, well, cool, man. Well, thanks uh, thanks for doing this. Uh, uh, kept you a little longer than I thought, but uh, I got a lot of questions for John Gregory, <laughs> as you can see. Well, uh, if you think of more, give me a call. I'm just 
sort of sitting here watching snow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, thank you. Uh, thanks for doing this on the BTOsports.com Transworld Motocross Podcast Show. Uh, truly a legend of the of the industry, and I'm glad that uh, you've let myself and, and the listeners in on sort of the stories behind the legend. And with with you getting inducted into the Hall of Fame and with JT Gear coming back, I think this works out pretty good, John. Well, you're welcome, Steve. I was glad to do it. All right. Well, thanks very well, much. You know, I'll tell you what you ought to call. You ought to call, if you want to hear some more funny stories, is call Rita. Oh, yeah. I probably should, yeah. huh? Yeah, you really should. And, you ought uh, to get her involved. She's She's got more than I do. She, <laughs> she's got a much better memory than I do. Right, right. Oh, man, we could really go down the path of, of JT Racing. Uh, I'd love to hear some Bale and RJ and, and Lachine stories and all that. Okay. Uh, Stay in touch. I'll I'll start I'll start thinking of things. Oh great! Yeah, thank you. And, and that's too bad about that bunker because I'd like to visit it. If, but, <laughs> okay, uh, I'll, I'll if I uncover it, I'll holler. <laughs> right on. Well, thank you, John Gregory, for being a guest, and uh, let's stay in touch. Okay, bye bye. Thanks, bye. This has been the BTOsports.com podcast show brought to you by Transworld Motocross. Don't forget to check out some of our past shows, including motocross legends such as The Beast from the East, Damon Bradshaw. It got to the point where I didn't want to leave home, and once I got to the race, I wasn't into it. If I wasn't going to give 100%, I'm not going to take their money. The working class hero, Doug Henry. It was definitely an emotional moment for me, just thinking to myself, that's it, you know, and it's, it's amazing the stuff that goes through your head in a short amount of time of the things that, you know, that I was going to miss. The daughter, Ron Machine. Until you really open your ears and you want to listen to what they're saying, it's like being a dead horse, I mean, you know, and I know from personal experience, did anybody ever sit me down? Of course, everybody did. Pro Circuits, Mitch Payton. There's two ways to make the money. One is you can sign for money, or two, you can earn the money. I'm a high believer in earning the money. I think they ride better when they earn the money. Seven-time Jeremy McGrath. I was so mad, like so disappointed and so frustrated that I had pulled pick and I left. Every point counts. I could kick myself to this day for not just riding around in tents. It's been no problem. My, my ego got in the way, you know? The O Show, Johnny Omar. Stuff that you could you sit there if you didn't even want to ride it, you just wanted to just look at it all day. I mean, I got a chance to test all that. I like that era I was in. I really do. Search Mathis on the iTunes Store to find these and many more great podcasts. I won't let this die